You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Okay, here we go. Got this rowdy group right over here. You know, in church this morning, very serious message, you know, just <laughs> somebody's telling jokes and I'm not going to say who it was, because <laughs> we, you know, we, we were talking about switching from what to who and what was your question? Who's on first? Who's on first? So. <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy told on her. So. Okay. <laughs> we are in lesson number 10 of, of the shack. And we are in this moment at a... We are in this moment at a real, at a real critical place. And as we get into this, you're going to see just how much was done to bring us to this particular moment. I'm not sure everyone recognizes or or knows how many things, the depth of what God has to do and is lovingly and willing and fully ready to do to bring you and I to to places of healing. He has an unyielding resolve, an unquestionable love, a passion for us that he will never stop. There will never be a time, there will never be a moment, there will never be a situation where God's heart will not pursue you. He is in a run passionately after you in all situations. And when we begin to understand that and know that and live in that anticipation, mighty things, powerful things will begin to happen. I'm going to do this a little bit differently tonight. I'm going to play this clip in its entirety. I I want to start by you seeing the whole thing. And then we'll go back and we'll dissect it and look at it. But this is the moment when last week, Mackenzie had the moment with his father. The scene that we're going to open up into is with Mackenzie in bed waking up and now Papa is not a, a woman. It switches to where it's an Indian man. I don't know uh, what that says to you. I don't know how many moments that brings you to in your own stories. How many times we have found ourselves in that moment so powerful when we finally recognize that the 
ability to heal isn't because we can't. The ability to heal is because we won't. That, that whole scene is just, uh, it just, it just weaves through story after story, situation after situation that many, many of us have faced. From your notes, the scene from the movie brings us to a critical point in McKenzie's healing. It would almost be beyond our imagination to think that we would be asked to forgive someone who had done such a hideous thing to my family or to me. But the entire purpose of all that has come before in each of the other scenes was to prepare us for this one. From the note that was left in the mailbox to this point on this mountain trail, we have been brought step by step to this place of healing. The love of our Father is that complete and that compelling. He will never stop bringing us to the place where broken hearts are mended and lives are restored and set free. He is relentless in his de determination and his pursuit of us. So I want us to consider just for a moment, step by step, what he's done to bring McKenzie to this point. First of all, in the opening scenes, as Mac lays on the porch after being struck uh, and and in his bed, God brought him into the awareness of his great sadness and brokenness. Now, it seems kind of strange that McKenzie had never, had, had never even considered it. And as I said this morning, all McKenzie had been able to do up to that point was to describe what had happened. What had happened in the moment at the lake. What had happened when he realized that his daughter was gone. Everything had been processed in terms of what? The details of things said, moments that happened, and it, in, the, in his head, in his heart, the story gets retold over and over by the what's that occurred. And our imagination will even will create what's trying to fill in gaps. But what is the focus? And as we're seeing clearly in this movie, the what didn't get him anywhere. As a matter of fact, he was growing more angry and more bitter and more frustrated all the time when all his mind could consider was the what, that it happened to him, to his family, to his wife, to his kids, to his daughter, and what didn't happen to the man that caused it all. But we see this immediate change in this movie because God immediately starts bringing him into, uh, into the who. But who was the first, what was the first who that had to be cleared up? Let's look at it. Let's look at the second check mark. From the neighbor's garage to introductions in the cabin, he took McKenzie past religion, knowledge, and concepts to personal encounter. It should say, as they fold the bread in the kitchen, he quickly brought Mac to an opportunity to see and begin a drastic correction in who he believed God was. What's the first who that has to change if healing is going to occur? It has to be in our perceptions of God. Because we won't go any further. 
If we, don't, if we don't believe that there's somebody involved in our story capable of something that we have never been able to accomplish by ourselves, the first big change had to be that God was bringing McKenzie into an understanding of himself. I mean, they were folding the bread and Papa is telling him, McKenzie, you don't get it. And over the course of that scene, in the kitchen folding that bread, Mackenzie begins to hear the heart of God and see something about God. Even this message in there where, he, where Papa says, for what you've been through, I didn't think you could handle a father right now. The, fourth, the next one, as Papa follows Mac out of the house, he brought him to the full knowledge that God knows him intimately and he loves him. On the porch, Papa lovingly helped Mac know that what he knew and had seen, had to become active faith. Huge step. One that we don't even, we, again, we don't even register. I mentioned it this morning, how necessary it, it is for this God who has been a concept, the God who has been taught us in doctrine and in theory, and we know him only by the stories that we have been told. We know him by the studies that we have done, by the books that other people have written. And that's how we know God, but we haven't encountered him. We don't know the sound of his voice. We don't know what it feels like when he hugs us. It's been interesting over the course of well beyond before I became pastor here, of people who would tell the stories of coming down to the sanctuary and laying down, and they would come back to the office quickly, just in a rush. Like, what's happened? I don't know, but I was laying there, and somebody was laying next to me, had their arms around me. And we know there was no one there, but this tangible reality of God, so dynamically different than the theories and the concepts that we have, because until those things that we know about God become active faith, Again, it's no different than I've said it a dozen times when I was teaching it. I could stand next to this chair and die of exhaustion, believing all the time that this chair would hold me if I would rest in it. But if I refuse to let that which I know become faith so that I rest in the chair, it will, as the scripture says, it will profit me nothing. And God has to bring us to the point where God is no longer theoretical to us, conceptual to us, but real to us and powerful to, to demonstrate and change our story. I won't say much about this, but, you know, by, by Donna's testimony, she, you know, she said she's not a germaphobe. She's just very germ aware. And when she began to see this, this picture of obedience of her washing John's feet that we saw this morning, can you imagine the, the, the struggle, this tug of war that was going on inside her? But what changes the struggle? You know it's God. He's not that, that you won't get to that place by loving a conceptual God. You won't get there by loving a theoretical God. You don't overcome those things that you struggle so deeply with to be able to step into that place of obedience and to, and to wash John's feet. And again, that's a different experience 
how amazing it was that John said yes. And how amazing it was to watch that for Danny to help and to, and to help in that moment to see John's feet washed. You're not going to be obedient to a theoretical God. You will be obedient to one you know, to one you know loves you and will never take you to a place of obedience beyond the provision he's already given you. Donna realized that she wasn't the one. It wasn't her abilities. It wasn't her strength. It wasn't her love that was being demonstrated here this morning. It was his. The, the provision was absolutely full. Let's keep going. In the garden with the Holy Spirit, he was shown that the full encounter of healing will not begin or be of any great effect until the Holy Spirit reveals truth. That Holy Spirit truth will bring him into the mysterious and the miraculous. We're not going far. In any healing with, without the Holy Spirit being involved, we're not going anywhere. Because it is by that Spirit that we begin to understand, see, hear, feel, and know what we otherwise couldn't. So the Holy Spirit brings Mac to that point in the boat Papa brought Mackenzie to a place where he could understand that the battlefield was his mind and his heart. He brought him to the place where he understood that the weapons are spiritual. Spiritual reality brought by encounter and spiritual truth brought by revelation. Those are the weapons we fight with. In the cave, wisdom brought Mac to a place where he fully understood that all judgment must end. The obstacle of judgment hardens the heart that is otherwise ready for healing. And then finally, from the cave, God brought Mackenzie to a place in the valley with his father that his eyes could see and that his ears could hear what God sees and hears. Look at all that God had done to bring Mackenzie to this point. If we could actually see, if we could actually capture the moments that God orchestrated, you know, we were, I, I, was, I was visiting with, with Kathy this past week and we were just reviewing how many connections had to be made for her to end up in this conversation. Because some, something happened and she started go, going to, to, to see June. June is a hand therapist. Uh, and so through that connection, and you got here through Bunny, right? And I can't remember how Bunny got here. But... The, the stories are just unbelievable of what God does to create the healing moment. And what does he want to find in us? If he's, if he's going to do that, what is the one thing that he would really like to find in each of us? Willingness to receive it. A heart prepared. That's that, that one phrase, Mackenzie, you're not, you're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't. Because God is always looking for that, for that heart. There will be no healing. Number 10, there will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, and no repentance until we received his gift of freedom and restoration by obedience to his word. And that's not just the written word. That's the rhema and the logos word. So... I'm not going to go back and stop and start this. We're going to make, since just seeing it, these are not hard to remember what's actually occurring on that, in, the, in this scene. 
So Mackenzie wakes and sees Papa. The conversation goes for what we have to do today. You're going to need a father. Now, once again, I've taught on this extensively back when Papa shows up in the movie as a woman and, and what that meant. But so as we stated much earlier, we must not be surprised that the father knows how to come to us according to what we are facing. Please understand this does not make God variable. He's not adjusting himself in character or in purpose. Some people would be bothered by that statement that God comes to us according to us because, the, because our minds have so fixed him to be immovable, unadjustable, so set that we're, we're approaching something that is a, it's, just, this is, it's absolute. Well, I want to tell you that that is absolute because I, the absolute is true. But I want us to understand that we're approaching absolute love. We're approaching absolute goodness. We're approaching absolute kindness. And it sounds far more loving to me to recognize that God knows how to come to me with a voice and the tenderness based on what I'm facing each day, and it should not be a surprise because, as, as I illustrated before, raising, raising three kids in our home, there were certainly times when the person who needed to go in and talk to them was me. There were absolutely as clearly other times that the person who needed to go in and talk to our kids about something was their mother. And I hope we had the wisdom to know the difference. That wasn't based on what was going on in us. That was based on what was going on in their story. Did they need to hear from her? Did they need to hear from me? Or did they need to hear from both? So why would I be surprised that the father who made me and by his nature I now function would do the same thing with us? He knows whose voice we need to hear. And when Papa said, based on what, what's going to happen today, you're going, you're going to need a father. He comes, to out, out of, he comes to us out of his great love for us. And all that is constant in him and all that is firm and certain, he is still creative in all things and able to establish a moment that is unique to us. Again, I don't know why we would be surprised. I think there's about, I'm, I'm guessing, that in, I didn't count today, but I think there's about 6.8 billion people on the earth now, and we would have to search a long time to find somebody that looked like Valton. Or any of us. If he's creative enough to do that, 6.8 billion now, 6.8 billion before. How many generations have there been? How many people have there been? And, and to create this uniqueness about us and he's able to do it, why in the world would I be surprised that he's unique enough and creative enough to know how to come to me based on me? That sounds a whole lot more like the father that I know than the one that we have often been told. So the scene changes on the mountain trail. And Papa says, we're here to do something that's going to be very painful for you. This pain for Mackenzie was absolutely real, but much more 
transitional than he had ever imagined. Because what, when we started this, what word would Mackenzie have assigned to his sadness? It is what? It's permanent. It's not, it will never change. It will never be anything but the only thing that I think about. It will never be anything except the only thing that my heart focuses on. That's where Mackenzie was. We have to pay attention at times, but in the movie, from the time that this happens in the mailbox, I think it said it had been four years since the death of his, since the death of his daughter. So the, the time passing hadn't helped. The old adage that time heals all wounds, time has no ability to heal anything. And Mackenzie was just living proof that time hadn't changed anything very much. <clears throat> Mackenzie's beginning to understand in, this, in these scenes before that his pain that was very real might be much more transitional than he had ever imagined. In his mind, the hurt will never change or lessen, but Papa knows differently. Time won't do it, but encounter will. Please let that sink in. Please let that become at least a possibility. If you've, if you've always ruled that out, all I could hope for tonight is that you would open the door to the possibility that maybe God has a great desire to encounter me personally and that I can have an encounter with him. Because not much changes absent the encounter. What would, have, what would have happened to Paul if on the road to Damascus he had picked up a pamphlet on the side of the road that said you would be far, far better off today if you were a Christian rather than a Pharisee? Picked it up and read it, what would have likely have occurred? Yeah, tossed it and kept walking. What changed him? I heard a voice, O King Agrippa. And I saw this light, and the voice spoke to me and asked me these questions. And I was blinded. He had an encounter. Nothing is going to change much without it. Being willing to expose yourself to God for healing and restoration takes a great measure of courage. When he said this is going to be painful, I will never promise anybody that comes into my office that this is going to be a painless or a pain-free process. You are willing to let your story be exposed. However, God is very careful. I talk about this often. If this were up to me to try to find what was going on with you, I would have to take a stick and start turning over rocks and it would be terribly painful. God does this like a laser. He already knows. He knows what was long ago buried. He knows how to bring it to the surface. He knows how to bring it to the opportunity of an encounter. And he does it in as painless way that he can possibly do it. But I don't know any of us who have buried something so long ago in our heart that it's been so painful that when it, when, when it gets brought back to the surface, 
that it won't be trying and a, and a bit difficult to consider. I tell people all the time, when we start down this path, it takes a measure of courage to open your story and let it be exposed. The next thing that Papa says is, son, we are on a healing trail to bring closure to this part of your journey. We may waver in our understanding of what is going on in our lives and where we, and where we are in his heart. He, however, will never lose focus and never change his intention of healing in our lives. The constant desire and work from God's heart to ours, he wants to bring us to closure, not to forget in all measures of our broken heart. Years ago, uh, this, this was shared, but it's, but it's been many years ago now, here in this church, there was a lady whose son had been killed in an accident, and several years after that, she had a vision. I've shared this with individuals in my office. And in this vision, she's standing in front of this wall, and on that wall, there are beautiful tile, red, blues, greens, yellows, orange, purple, walls, beautiful, all these tiles in rows and columns. And she said, as she's staring at the wall, suddenly in the middle of that wall, there's a black one that forms. And she said, within seconds, the black one has grown so enormous that you could only see this little outline of color around it. Some of you sitting here have seen that wall. The, the phone call, the news, the situation came so abruptly that in the middle of the story, there's nothing that you can stare out except the dark one and, and amazed at how quickly it consumes every moment. And she said as she stood there and looked at the wall, time could do a little bit. It could shrink it. So there was a little, the color band was a little wider, but it was still in the center and it was still by far the largest. And she said as she's standing there staring at the wall, she says this man walks up and she said, somehow in this vision, I knew it was Jesus. And he started taking the wall, the tile down off the wall. And he put them in a bag, got them all down, got them in this bag, and he started hitting this bag with a hammer, just pounding away. So when he got through, he set the bag down, and he reached in, and he got out just a fragment of the tile, a red one. And he, up, up in the corner, he stuck it to the wall. And reached in and got a green one and it took and knocked the dirt off of it, the dust off of it and put it. And then a blue one, a yellow one, an orange one, a purple one. And then he reached in and pulled out a black one. And she said the minute he touched the wall with that black one, the rest of the colors became more beautiful. And she said when he finished, she realized that until I hand him this great sadness, the sadness will stay in the center and be the largest. When I handed him, gave him the opportunity, he found a way so that the black ones now became part of my story because we will never forget and we would be foolish to think we would ever or want to. We will remember but what God did was he took those black ones that had, that had been so prominent and he found them a place within our story. And strangely as it was, 
because we know of his great love, it made the rest of the mosaic more beautiful. I don't know anyone who can do that except God. I don't know anyone who can bring that kind of healing except him. Mackenzie realized very quickly what, what Papa wanted him to do when he says, you want me to forgive him. Again, can we, can we even begin to imagine what Mac was feeling and thinking in this moment? In the movie, Mac's brokenness was because of an outward sadness that came from his early life and the death of his daughter. Quite often for us, the brokenness involves only us and Satan. However, forgiveness of ourselves in the story is as necessary as Mac's forgiveness of this monster that he spoke of. Because most of the time, instead of saying to Papa, you want me to forgive him, what would be much more common coming out of our mouth was, Papa, you mean you want me to forgive me? Because we have beaten ourselves up. The greatest grudges we hold are generally of ourselves. We're mad at us. And God is saying, somewhere, I've got to bring you to this place where you can forgive you. I've got to come to some place where I can actually deal with what Satan told you. I've got to bring you to a point where you have held something against yourself simply because Satan whispered it to you so long ago, you don't even know when it was. But we're not coming to great healing until those old identities, those old moments are brought before God and dealt with. What a powerful statement when we hear Papa say, so we're back to you as the judge. This might need to be a constant reminder that runs through our heads. Judgment ends in Papa's next statement when he says, I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. Why did I say that most of the time the who that it has to get clear first is God? Because exactly how much healing will there be if I don't trust the healer? Y'all have heard me say this Many times now over the course of 11 years, we love a God that we don't trust. We will announce to anyone that this is the God we love. But it's a far different story that our lives tell that would actually say, but I trust that God that I love. Because most of us are moving in hesitation because we don't actually trust him. We're not sure he's capable we're not sure he knows our story. We're not sure that he's going to do anything about it. We're not sure at times that he even cares what our story is. And until that image of God changes, until we know with certainty that he knows our story and that he's deeply involved in it and that he is perfect in his timing, he knows what right is right and he knows what's best, even if it doesn't look anything like what I think is right or think is best. 
What would change in the Christian story if we were simply able to do that, that that Papa reveals? I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. Okay, now then, let's see if we can make this connection. If McKenzie doesn't come into that moment, What's the likelihood that in the, in, a, in the next moment he's going to say, I forgive you? You see, there will be no healing. When he says, I forgive you, we understand something. That wasn't, as it's stated here, that wasn't going to fix this relationship. He wasn't going to become buddies with the guy that killed his daughter. But this was very much about Mackenzie's freedom. It was very much about McKenzie being able to close this piece of his life and the bitterness to go away and so they could love his wife and love his kids and go about life and demonstrate the power of God and by this testimony tell others about the freedom that he's received by this particular healing. But if he doesn't in any way hear what Papa's saying, I'm asking you. He's asking us tonight right here. Every one of us, he's asking us this question right now because I don't care what's going on in your story, whether it's large or small, he's asking us in this moment to trust him to know what's right. Most of the time, we've already concluded what we want right to look like. What did, what did McKenzie say he wanted right to look like? I want to hurt him. I want him to hurt like he hurt me. I want you to hurt him. That was McKenzie's version of right. What changed here when Papa said this? I want you to trust me. Once again, stand beside the chair. Faith puts you in it. What's keeping you in it? Are you worried right now that this chair might fail you? No, why? Because you trust it. You believed in it by faith. You said in it, now trust keeps you in it. And as long as you sit there, what will that chair do? It'll hold you. It will work on your behalf. It's all that God was asking. I want you to trust me to know what's right and to do what's best. Earlier in the cave, when Max says there must be a better way, wisdom responds that there is, but that that better way involves trust. We see it here in this statement. We're not capable of understanding based on the what that we see. Our understanding comes from him if it's true and if it's accurate. This is a powerful statement that is the turning point of healing. This is the basis of my question number three. Before somebody's brought the healing, what God has shown me, I asked four questions. The third one is this. Do you believe by faith that God will do what you are asking, which is to remove the old identity, which you're asking him to do? For Mac, this is that moment of faith. Do you believe that if you expose a hurt to God, that you expose a broken identity to him, that you expose something that you've held against yourself? Do you believe, not just believe, do you believe by faith sitting in the chair? Do you believe by faith 
that he will remove it? Yes. I'd like to know why he wouldn't. I'd like to know why there would be a single thing of, that Satan originated that he would want to leave in you hurting you. I, I can't find a single reason why that would occur. Papa says, forgiveness doesn't establish the relationship at just about letting go of his throat. Healing requires a letting go. It may not be forgiveness in your story, but it will be a means that God has determined. We talked about this, and there's a sermon back a few weeks ago about healing on Wednesday nights. You could go get a whole lot more out of, out of what, than what I can say here. But once again, as I, as I shared then, this young man that I met with last fall, and I, and I asked God, is it salvation? Is it deliverance? Is it repentance? And God said, no, it's healing. So we just listed the major people in his life, and God began on one side of this chart to just give us the means by which healing would come. And his, his dad that he had only met once and that he had been angry at all these years, when we put his, his dad's name up there and we came to it, the means by which the healing would come when the Holy Spirit revealed it was compassion. Surprised him. He would have thought it was forgiveness. That's our go-to answer, forgiveness. It wasn't forgiveness, it was compassion. And he said, is that the reason that I've been having this, such a strong desire to call him? I said, yeah, because God not only has exposed the means, now he's exposed the, 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 the step of faith, the action he wants you to take. Person by person, the friend that had been killed out of high school, and we got over here to the means and God wrote celebrate. And he knew exactly the action to take. This healing we, we get to see here. We get to see here it was forgiveness, but what was the action? What did Papa tell him to do? You remember? He said he wanted him to forgive him, but, he, but there was a specific action required. What did he want him to do? Just say it out loud. See, that was the action. Forgiveness here was the means that statement was the action because, and, and the ladybug is tremendously symbolic. What did it mean to Mackenzie? What was wrapped up in that ladybug? I'm sorry? The hurt. What else? His anger. What else? The judgment. What else did that, did that ladybug mean? And I mean, Unforgiveness. When he looked at that ladybug, who did he see? He saw the guy that killed his daughter. And I mean, you could see it in his eyes and it's a movie, but it was well played because you could see that anger when he held that ladybug because that, that symbol that the killer had used on that rock and on the cabin, that was the ladybug. I don't even, I, I don't know this, but my suspicion would have been that it wasn't pain. It could have even been blood. So that ladybug's in his hand and we're in this critical moment because what did he want to do? 
You want to crush it. God said, Mackenzie, say it out loud. And again, so beautifully done. Because he begins to release his fingers and all he can get out is, I forgive. The minute he says, I forgive you, the ladybug takes off. How hard that would be if Papa said, Mackenzie, you don't have to do this alone. I'm here. You see him, he's not asking us to do something that, that, that is found within us. He's asking us to do something that's, that's wrapped up in him. Mac, the pain inside you is devour, devour, devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. Mackenzie's answer was, I can't, you're not stuck because you can't, you're stuck because you won't. And this is the great truth of healing. It, it is given as a gift and not a magic act. The Father offers, but we must receive. We often want the magic act. God says, I'm just going to hand you a gift. I want to give you a gift of freedom in the place of your brokenness. The ladybug, as I said, is powerful. At the very bottom, you don't have to do this alone. I'm here with you. The constant message to anyone with whom we work must be that God himself is doing all the work, bringing all the revelation, establishing truth, offering healing, and bringing restoration. This is his victory in us and his power of healing for us. These are the phrases that bring us to the conclusion. I don't know how. Just say it out loud. I forgive. I forgive you. Mackenzie, you're such a joy. I'm still angry. Of course you are. No one lets go all at once. You might have to hear it or say it a thousand times before it gets any easier, but it will. This is why when, I, when someone's delivered, I tell them, Satan is going to come back. He's going to try to reattach the hurt. But you have to be ready to say, Nope, on this date, this time, this place, this is what God did. This is where he set me free. This is where he took the old identity. This is where he healed me. And you may have to say it a thousand times. Don't be discouraged if you're at a thousand and you're still saying it because it's not whether or not you're, you're trying to convince you, you're not trying to convince God. You're just, having to, you're, you're just getting a, a thousand swings at Satan's head with the bat of certainty of faith that, you're, that you now carry, that in that moment, he did exactly what you ask. We're not convincing ourselves. We know that God did exactly in the moment because we said by faith we knew that he would. We're not, having to, we're not having to remind God, look, God, did you do it? Did you really do it? No, we don't even ask those questions or approach those thoughts. When Satan brings the old, as he's telling McKenzie that it will come, Again, you just reach and get that bat, this labeled victory, and you hit him over the head with it. And the next time he comes, you reach and get the bat, and you hit him over the head with it. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. You may have to say it a thousand times, but he will leave you alone. The more direct the hit, the sooner he leaves you alone. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.